0: Welcome to Son of a Preacher Man with Jonathan Martin, a new podcast that's all about finding beauty and brokenness, grace and grit, God and the ambiguity of the in-between. This episode is a reflection from side A where Jonathan Martin preached a sermon at Prodigal Church in Fresno, California. In this episode, Jonathan will answer your own questions and go deeper into the idea of deconstructionism. Enjoy.
1: Well, welcome back to Son of a Preacher Man. This is Jonathan Martin. Um, Side A this week was a sermon I preached about the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, but specifically focusing on the fact that the road to Emmaus was the road away from Jerusalem. They're leaving the temple. Ostensibly, they're walking away from God. Um, what we know who've read the other part of that story in the gospel text is that they're actually on a collision course with the resurrected Jesus. They so don't know that. Uh, what their experience is, is that a space that once was sacred uh, and that Jerusalem is the place around which they oriented their entire lives, around the temple, the worship that happened there, uh, now is the place where they've seen Jesus of Nazareth killed and what was once a sacred space now no longer feels like a safe space and they leave And of course, the point I made, I don't know if this is provocative or not, but for some people apparently it is, is that, you know, I really believe it is ultimately the Holy Spirit that drives people to leave Jerusalem, to leave the temple. And I don't want to be the person who's begging everybody to stay in the safe, sacred space. when, oftentimes I think people have to walk away in order to have their own real robust experience with God. So... That uh sets up for what we're doing now with side B, and honestly, I was blown away by the not just the depth of thinking in the questions that uh, some of you guys submitted on Twitter for this week, but the pain that's gestured uh to kind of through these stories really really remarkable, and I want to give proper reverence to that on the one hand but also because there were so many questions that were so great i'd love to get to as many as i can as well so i'm going to try to walk a line here of you know want to take each question seriously but trying to move a little bit quick and deal with as many as i can because i just think these are really wonderful and profound questions and with that please welcome everybody our lovely producer
0: he's a lovely lovely human being will will rutherford everybody (laughs) hey how's it going guys All right, question number one is from Christian Novicki. How do you communicate your doubts and questions in a way that doesn't communicate that you are unsafe or dangerous to others who are not deconstructing? In my experience, both parties appear as threats to each other. Thus, both parties either become violent or distant.
1: Christian, this is a brilliant question. I'm a both-and-as-opposed-to-either-or kind of thinker, at least I strive to be. And I don't want to be too black and white, you know, but that being said, I have a strong kind of guttural response to this question. And that is if a community is not a safe space for you to wrestle with the most deep, dark, violent questions of your soul, if that's perceived as a threat and there's not space for that, I think that's not the community you're supposed to be in. I think the very nature of authentic community healthy community is that people are secure enough in their own faith to where they don't perceive questions to it as some kind of a dig into their own identity or some kind of a threat. It's not a threat, or at least it shouldn't be perceived as one. Um, what Christian communities are supposed to be about is a place where spiritual fathers and mothers who are formed their own faith and their own experience provide an open environment for people who are, at, you know, in on other stages of that journey to be able to be wherever they need to be you know so in that regard while i think it's a great question i reject the premise of it just a little bit cuz i kind of feel like it's if you're in a place where you're unraveling it's not your job to have to convince people that you're safe or that you're not or that you're not unsafe i just don't i just think that's too much to bear you know when you're in that place where you know the questions of your soul are you know when you're in in your i just know that that place of deconstruction can involve so much torment and pain You need a a community that's secure enough to be able to bear up under that, you know? Um, So I would just kind of say with gentleness that if you're in that kind of season and you're not in a place that allows space for that, you really might want to perfectly consider if that's the community where you need to be.
0: So here's a question from Robin Bronson B. Are deconstruction and reconstruction really delineated that clearly? Or are they in pieces like a home makeover? rather than an entire demolition and rebuilding.
1: Robin, is that right, Robin? Listen, nothing is that clear. You know, um, grief is not clear. The grieving process is not linear. It comes in waves and cycles that are unexpected. Almost nothing that happens in our lives happens in a neat segmented easily categorized way now that being said though i think we can trace and track like overarching trajectory um a really helpful example of this best thing i've ever read about the psalms and it stuck with me forever walter brueggemann the great old testament scholar places the psalms into three categories there are psalms of orientation there are psalms of disorientation and then there are psalms of reorientation on the other side those are general categories, because when you actually read the Psalms, they're actually quite messy, and they're moving from orientation to disorientation to reorientation all the time. And and you've got David um, and the other Psalm writers moving from... God, how could you leave me out here to die? Why are you so awful to me? Too, I love you and I praise you, like all within the same breath. Does it need to be linear at all? But I do think you know you can pay attention to the overarching movements. Um, you know there are seasons in which the over the framework, the overarching movement is towards um, orientation. You feel most of the time you feel safe and secure, or the the most of the time. You're feeling unstable and shaken. You don't know where you really are. Or or maybe there comes a time where, you know, the, the trajectory of the story is there are new songs. There's new poetry. There's a sense of being alive and God is present and, you know, all of that. Um... I, I would just say like um while it is helpful to think about those things in broad categories i think it's unhelpful to feel like we need to tether that to the ground too specifically let it be messy let it be ambiguous let yourself kind of come in and out in the way that's just you know that's how life happens and i think that's how god happens to us that in the midst of the back and forth and the messiness of this very non-linear journey somehow mysteriously the holy
0: spirit is uh, bringing a story forward and that's all right great question. All right. Our next question is from Jenny Owen. She says, I find the deconstruction frightening, but inescapable. However, I don't know where I fit. How do we find home? And what do we do to both engage in the body, but deal with the trauma we've been through? Oh,
1: thank you for that question. Um, I want to respond not just to the the words of it but the heartbreak that underwrites it which i think is very real what what a question um in terms of knowing where you fit and how you find home that's the thing about deconstruction you don't know where you fit and you don't know where home is and i think there's a real way in which you can't know until you know you can't force it you can't push yourself forward It's really frustrating, especially when you want to know and you desperately, but I'm speaking from deep personal experience right here. You want a place to belong, but you know, if in your deepest self, you don't feel like you belong, you can't, you can't make that happen. So I think you really have to be, um, to show some grace for yourself that sometimes not knowing where you fit in and not knowing where home is, is all right. And that takes some time. How to engage in the body, but deal with the trauma we've been through depends on your trauma and depends on the body. If um, this sounds so simple, but this for me has has become such a um, a mantra. You know, you can only do what you can do, right? I mean, you only handle what you can handle. Um, If you're in a place of trauma and pain, and it's utterly excruciating. Uh, to be with a particular community where you come from, uh, maybe there's a sense of calling that that's just where you feel like the Holy Spirit is is you know wants you for a season. But I kind of think if it's excruciating, you feel like you can't bear it, maybe you should listen to that, and that's all right. Um, you know, it, on the other hand, if you have a body that where there's people around you who are tender and they're soft and they know how to deal with your ambiguity and they're not threatened by your questions. Then that's probably a really good place for you to be, but only you can know that. So I would just like, I just wouldn't want you to walk under any condemnation or judgment about not knowing where calm is. That's not wrong. That's that's what this the nature of this kind of journey. That's what it's about. And if you don't know, it may just not yet be time for you to know. So lean into the questions a little bit more. I think I'm thinking of that great um, Rilke quote: "Live the questions, live them out. Let it, you know, take your time with it." You don't need to resolve anything prematurely. Let it set, uh, continue to wrestle, continue to struggle. And, and when, you know, I think your heart finds home, you'll know that and you'll put down your roots. But until that time, you don't think there's anything fundamentally wrong with you because, you know, you don't necessarily have that place. I would just encourage you to be real, real easy and graceful on yourself
0: in that way uh, until you, when, when your heart finds home. I think you'll know. A question from Jen Wells. What happens when you're hurt and entirely justified cynicism is blocking your desire to reconstruct? When you're stuck in the middle, the wilderness, the isolation, when almost everything about God and his people is tainted by what you've seen.
1: You can't unsee what you see, you can't unknow what you know. Bottom line, you just can't. You know, you're not you're not capable of reprogramming yourself. So even if you feel like you're perspective is a little bit cynical even if you feel like your perspective is a little bit skewed I mean if that's where you are right now that's where you are and I certainly wouldn't have any you know any judgment around that I think I would say this though um cynicism is normal I feel like I spend a lot of my time being cynical and there's plenty of ways in which I've been disillusioned in ways that I've disillusioned myself That made me cynical, but I will say this: I think it's really important that you're around people right now who help you just keep your heart open. You know, who help you, um, help you stay tender, to help you stay in touch with the things that you most deeply believe and crave and need, and help you be open. I think that's like really, really important. But I don't. If you're in a place right now where you feel really cynical and jaded, I don't think it's the number one objective to find a way to not be cynical and jaded. You know. it, that just the fact that you feel that cynical may just mean that you're not yet in a place or with the people where you feel like you can put your weight down and be safe and maybe you still need to find those people you know so I just um that's not to say that our instincts can't mislead us of course they can but um I, I just I don't know a way to tell anybody who's feeling disillusioned discouraged I don't have a magic formula as to how to tell you to feel not disillusioned and discouraged, you know, because I think it's only through a process of healing and wholeness and being in an environment where you're seen and you're known and you're loved exactly where you are and for who you are, that's where health and wholeness comes. And if you don't have that yet or you haven't been in that place long enough with such a people yet, you know, you just you just can't force it. And part of what makes this especially uncomfortable is that you just kind of have to allow yourself to uh, to, to be in an in-between space sometimes and just trust that because our God is the God of the Exodus he's a God who's always on the move if you're in the wilderness right now if you're in an in-between space right now God has not led you to that place for you to die you're not going to stay there forever but you also can't just simply will yourself out of it so if it's where you are it's where you are that's alright there's grace for those in-between spaces
0: So here's a question from Matt Ritchie. Is it really about the faith or is it frustration with the institutions that no longer resonate with the faith that's still there? Matt, only you can know
1: the answer to that question. Only you can know that because there are some people who are going to go through the deconstruction process and there's going to be at some point a clear line of demarcation. Here are things about the institutional church. Here are things about the structure. Here are things about the container. That are somehow wrong and tainted that's not what i'm done with but i love jesus and i love the apostles creed and i want to be in a place where i can receive communion every week, whatever it might be or lift my hands in worship there are other people who are going to come to a place on uh kind of through that deconstruction where that's not the conclusion and they're going to say it's not the form it's not the systems it's not the structures i just don't think i believe these things what I would say is that um, I'm not trying to quote the popular worship song, but this is what's in my head right now. I believe God's a good, good father. And what good fathers do is that they give their kids permission to go on a journey. <laughs> There's space for it. When the when the father of the prodigal son is, is asked by his son, this incredibly insulting question, will you give me my inheritance before you're dead? He doesn't judge him. He doesn't give him a lecture. He gives him the money. And he lets them go on the road. I just think that's, you know, that's, what, that's what our God is like because our God is not threatened. Our God is not insecure. So you know I think you need space and permission to chase those questions wherever they might lead you without fear that, that, that God is some punitive ogre um, who's going to judge you if you get it wrong. I think you need space to decide
0: those things for yourself, and I think only you can know. A question from Chad Miller, How does your Pentecostal roots equip you to find life on the other side of deconstruction, as opposed to those who come from a more fundamental, conservative evangelical background?
1: It's a good question, and an interesting one, and might I don't want to get too much into inside baseball here for people who aren't of a Pentecostal tradition. You know from the outside, Pentecostals and evangelicals and you know other kinds of fundamentalists can look kind of the same, and that there's a certain kind of cultural, conservatism that runs through those traditions, et cetera. But I do feel like my tradition for all the things that are wonky about it. And we have our craziness, we have our Zane, our faith, our televangelists and faith healers and prosperity gospel and all these things that, you know, (laughs) I can feel ashamed of, but I do actually feel like my tradition uniquely um, equipped me in some ways, because I think I did come to understand at, from an early stage in my life, that life with God is about following the Holy spirit. You know, it's organic, it's dynamic. God is real and interactive and God speaks, God shows up. And I was trained to listen for that voice. It's funny because I feel like a lot of what's happening around some Pentecostals and Charismatics that I know right now is that they received some things from the generation before them that were really healthy, you know, listening to the Holy Spirit. And even I think the great kind of revelation in the Charismatic Movement in the last 25 years is this idea of God as the good Benevolent father. That's good. But then the children of that movement start to follow those conclusions or rather to follow those ideas through to their logical conclusions. And their parents can feel like they're rejecting their faith. And they're not. You know, they're just they're carrying it forward in some way, you know. So I would just say, like, I do feel like there's some ways in which learning how to listen to the Holy Spirit and trust that God is speaking through. The circumstances of my life and god is that's a great frederick buehner quote about you know listening to your life you know I, i feel like the you know the pentecostal church largely told me how to listen to my life and to listen to the holy spirit at work in my life and that has been precisely why I feel like I've been able to find God in some really surprising spaces where some of my elders who taught me to listen to the Spirit would say, oh, I don't think you're supposed to go there. But I'm like, hey, no, y'all taught me how to listen to the Holy Spirit. And I see the Holy Spirit working here and drawing here. So, you know, this is, this is where I am. That, that for me has been incredibly valuable.
0: From Kyle Lane, I started deconstructing about two years ago and I haven't really gotten to a period of reconstruction Sometimes I'm tempted to go backwards, but intellectually I just can't. I'm kind of in the abyss. Where do I go from here?
1: Kyle, my brother, the going backwards is the only direction you cannot go. Whatever it is that you've seen, whatever it is that you've experienced, you can't unknow any of that. You can't dump that out of your head. You're not supposed to. So you can't go backwards. And the fact that you can't go backwards means that you shouldn't try. (laughs) I don't mean to make this sound cut and dried, but I hope you hear my heart there. The fact that you can't means you probably shouldn't. So, knowing that you can't go backwards, the question really becomes what does it look like to go forward? What is this? Is there an integrated, new, vital, vibrant faith on the other side? You know, I just don't think you can force yourself further into that journey, you know, than. than, 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 than where you really are. So if you're in the abyss in terms of where do you go from here? Uh, the best thing I know to say that is I think you have to trust the trajectory of your own story. What are the themes that are emerging, um, through this process of deconstruction? W- what are the things that are being shaken loose? And what are the things though right now that you feel like you need to hold on to? Um, these are questions that are deeply personal and intimate. And I feel like, you know, to a point only you can answer. So I would say in terms of like, uh being in the abyss and where do you go from here you know um sometimes the way to get to the next place uh, i just think oftentimes the way out is to go deeper in you know these deep questions that are keeping you up late night you may have to go deeper into those things you know to kind of get through to the other side um yeah i I do think the way to get out is the way that you have you kind of have to go all the way through those things so If you're in the abyss and you're not finding your way out of the abyss, I would just encourage you not to necessarily assume that the abyss is not where you're supposed to be. Maybe there's grace in the abyss. Maybe there's love that's at the rock bottom of that abyss that yet needs to be
0: experienced. Trust the trajectory of your own story. So here's a good question from Jeremy. Deconstruction, walking away. I'd like to know how you differentiate walking away from faith versus walking away from the faith without making the answer too simplistic. Like N.T. Wright has said, being too simplistic can be bad. Hmm. Well, I don't know um,
1: how everybody you know is going to differentiate that. I will say that for me, the heart of Christian faith, the heart and soul, is the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. You know, so that for me is at the heart of what I think Orthodox Christianity is. Um, so that's kind of a line for me as whether or not something is uh, creedal. But that being said, how to differentiate between walking away from the faith versus I mean, walking away from faith versus walking away from the faith? You know, um, again, these are these are deeply personal. Matters so, um, and you know, some people look at the faith for what it is and the claims of the creed and say, "I can't go there." And if integrity as integration and wholeness demands that you say, "Like I can't go here," you know, I think you have to be true um, to 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 what you to what you see in that regard. Uh, You know, I would just kind of encourage you to, I don't know, maybe not to put too much weight down on uh, trying to differentiate, you know, in terms of, uh, because I think especially if I know this is true for a lot of people in my life, if they're too afraid of where the questions might lead them, if you just bury your head in the sand, what is that? If you feel like you can't ask certain critical questions because you're afraid of what the answers might be, what is that? That's not a real faith. It's not your faith until you're able to stare into the abyss and to stare into things that you, you know, you really don't know. And yet um come to this place of some sort of peace and like resolution. So I would just kind of encourage you in that, like, uh judgment, right? Judgment is to separate. Maybe this is not a season where you need to be judging and separating, you know, uh so much like the the, the distinction between the faith versus uh faith. But it's like where 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 am I and where is God in this? And what is God saying to me now? That that's the that, that feels a little frail, but that's the best
0: I can offer, or the, at least it's honest. So we're down to our last few questions. This one is from Natasha. How do I find a church in the midst of deconstruction and reconstruction? Do I keep looking until I find one that feels evolved enough, if such a place even exists? Or do I just stay where I've been, even though I feel extremely disconnected and I just go through the motions?
1: If I give my heart's answer there, you know, my desire would be, I, I, I just believe that I'll put it like this. right after Jesus ascends, you've get that wonderful touch I believe that's in Matthew's Gospel, where it says that when Jesus uh, ascended, that those disciples who were there worshiped, but some doubted. And I've always found that that's so fascinating, that in this, the, the very disciples who watch Jesus ascend are simultaneously worshiping and doubting. That's always been true about Christian communities is that some people are worshiping, some are doubting, some are doing both simultaneously. I kind of think that all Christian communities are both worshiping and doubting. Some of them are just not being honest about the doubting. So those communities do exist. They absolutely exist. I'd love for you to be part of one. I, I think that would be healthy for you. I think it'd be good for you to be around other people who are living in that same tension, like between the worshiping and the doubting. I think that's good and right and healthy, but you know, um, I don't know. I I would just, the only way that you can know, the only way you can find such a community is through trial and error. And I understand that involves vulnerability and that involves, that involves risk. But I will tell you this. um, I don't think that communities that hold worshiping and doubting together. I don't think that's unique to some unique, special 21st century fresh expression of the church. That's just a community that's honest and I promise you somewhere, somehow, you're surely within proximity of some other Christians who have that kind of authenticity. So I think they're out there. And and without trying to put too much pressure on you, I think it, I would encourage you to take the risk of that trial and error. And hey, if you get to know some folks and you don't feel like your questions or your experience are welcome, then hey, that's not the right place. But I, I feel pretty confident that somewhere near you, there are some disciples who are worshiping and doubting together who are not going to think it's weird that you're in the middle of a really intense soul excavation process. Surely that there's such a community somewhere near you.
0: So here's a question on discipleship from John Witham. As someone who pastors teenagers and young adults, I have dealt with this a lot. Two years ago, a young leader in my church left claiming existentialism held for him what Christianity didn't. How do I continue to shepherd him from this side of the fence?
1: This is going to sound counterintuitive, I think, probably for some listeners, but I really believe the best way you shepherd him from this side of the fence is to give space, to love, even to continue to reach out in love, but also to give space. I know I mentioned it a little earlier, but I feel like Jesus' story of the prodigal son is so brilliant in this way. The, the father of the prodigal is always in the same heart space he never changes but like there's room to say hey you ask for the your inheritance early here's your inheritance go spend it the way you need to spend it i'll be here when you get back that's what spiritual fathers and mothers do they give permission they don't control their sons and daughters and i think um even though this is going to be painful because you may see choices being made that you feel like are not healthy choices and um, a story of somebody that you care about going in a trajectory in a direction that doesn't set right with you that it's the hardest thing in the world but I think to keep your hands off the steering wheel no matter what choices you're making no matter what direction you're going I love you I believe in you I am for you I feel like that's those are the only things that you can communicate and otherwise I think there really has to be just a taking hands off and just trusting the Holy Spirit to be at work. That when it's time for a, to come back home, if that time comes, if there's a time for like reconciliation, that's going to come around. But that's not yours to engineer. The very fact that you're granting space and permission for this person to be in the journey they're on is going to communicate volumes about what you claim to believe about God. That's what I think.
0: So here's a question from niche. Is the deconstructing process the same as the decolonizing process, or is one the subset of the other? Also, is there space for non-Western practices to be incorporated into the reconstruction process without it being demonic? Niche, this question is ridiculous
1: in the best possible way. (laughs) I'm laughing because that's such an extraordinary question. I could not deal with it but it's wow i definitely feel like it's above my pay grade but i love it so here's my knee-jerk response um i think i would want to say um i think the deconstructing process and the decolonizing process which i'm just thinking for other listeners that probably requires some degree of explanation uh colonization you know the very ways in which white north american culture um uh, because i think so often the way that we think about things especially in the west white is um white in the vernacular is a way of saying vanilla Uh, white colonial culture is we're actually culture free (laughs) everybody else has a culture except for us there are all these ethnic groups (laughs) they have culture we don't have a culture we're culture free we have no biases whatsoever that's the great law of Western civilization in many ways, I think there are, that the decolonizing process uh, and the deconstruction process has a has a ton of parallels to it, because what's happening is these broader cultural forces, you know, that have informed the world that's been constructed around you. Like all those things are are kind of slowly being deconstructed away. I think they're I think those things are deeply uh, deeply related, and that's part of the reason why I'm not afraid of deconstruction. Is because I think part of what deconstruction is about is untangling the essence of the Christian gospel as revealed to the Jewish Messiah named Jesus, who comes to the tradition of Israel being raised up out of Egypt. And I, I think that deconstruction needs to happen, and I feel like the, that Jesus is robust enough and vital enough and real enough to where there's a there's a clear picture of a depiction of who that Jesus is and what that gospel is when you extricate it from these other cultural forces i think it's much more beautiful in that way so that's why i'm not afraid of the stripping away i i, I stepped in this tentatively because it's a broad question um and i i don't claim to be an expert but is there a space for non-western practices to be incorporated in the reconstruction process without it being demonic <laughs> i'm just going to simply say yes 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 you know i think part of what hmm how can i say this in a way that's responsible I just think that that especially in Western kind of white culture, the kind of colonization that does take place, I just think there's such a fundamental suspicion of, of anything that that's other. And I feel like what's so central to the biblical story, Old and New Testament, is that God most often encounters us through things that are other. You know, the very moment that God catches us by surprise, the very moment that we see, how, how often do we see this in the Gospels? It, uh, God can't be at work through that person. God can't be at work in a Samaritan. God can, th- th- this can't be God. This is unclean. We encounter God through otherness. And I think that we can't be afraid of how God might want to reveal God's self through something that which, which, is, which is other in some way. So yeah, I absolutely think there are, that there are practices that are not Western, that there are practices they're not um they're not intrinsic to Western Christianity, in which there can be a, a powerful experience with God, especially if we understand that God wants to meet us, and God most often meets us through that which is other. So and the last thing I'll say about that is I can just tell you from everything about the question you're asking, you are
0: on the right journey, my friend.
1: Please keep going. <laughs> That's what I want to say to that.
0: All right, we are on to our last question, and it is from Heidi Wright. When questioning slash deconstructing, how did you decide what was truth worth keeping and what was illusion that needed to be thrown away? What's the difference between letting go of that which is not real truth and holding on to truth despite the popularity of rejecting it? I know Heidi, I like Heidi. So
1: Heidi, it's great to hear from you. Um, What a question. And part of the reason why um, the answer is complex is because there is more than one way in which God has mediated truth. I think there's a real way, of course, as a Christian, that God's truth is mediated through scripture. But I also think that God's truth is mediated through experience. I believe that God's uh, truth is mediated through community. I believe that God's truth is mediated to us through story and through testimony, you know? So how do we filter through those things? What is God's truth versus what is just, you know, what's been told to me by a particular people or a culture or whatever? Um, those are really difficult things to concern, but uh, to discern rather, because I think part of what you have to do is kind of figure out what you believe is most fundamentally true about God, kind of in a rock bottom way. You know, my rock bottom truth is, I believe that God is fully revealed through the person of Jesus of Nazareth. I really believe that. Um, that uh, I can't remember who said that. That's a beautiful quote. It's someone angling in it, but uh, that God is Christ-like and in him is no unchristlikeness likeness at all. That's my bottom line truth. There's nothing about God that doesn't look like Jesus. That Jesus is the full revelation of who God is and who God has always been. That for me is is the absolute ground floor kind of truth, is Jesus. And um, you know, it's Jesus that continues to, to surprise me and compel me, and like all of that. But in terms of how you discern it, you know, part of what makes it so complex is that all of our ways of understanding truth are informed by our own culture and experience, and um, you know, by the by the people who have who have taught us. All that stuff is in there. You know, I, I think that if I could encourage you gently um, for Heidi or for like for anybody else, I I just I feel like. For me at least, Jesus is that ground level truth. And so to you know, what 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 is Christ like? Um how is this belief system or how is this the way this church community functions? How does that reflect or not reflect the essential character of Christ, which I believe is fully revealed on the cross through nonviolent love? Father forgive them for they know not what they're doing. That's the most complete Perfect picture of God we're ever going to get is 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 who God is in that moment in which He is pressed and even crushed on the cross. You know, so when I see a, a version of God or a version of Christianity that isn't revealed through that kind of robust, nonviolent love that goes all the way to to, to death, um, deferring towards the other. You know, if I when I when I see love that's not about sacrifice, because that for me is the is the trajectory of Scripture mercy triumphs over judgment, and is ultimately through sacrifice that God will conquer the forces of evil at work in the world? That's that's the message for me. And uh, any form of Christianity, any or you know, just any belief system in general that doesn't go in that direction of God as God has been revealed fully through the cross is not for me. So I can tell you that. That's how I would discern that question. I just have to say one more time, all these questions have been insanely good, so thank you. I just would want to maybe end by just speaking blessing for those of you who are on the deconstruction process. Because part of what I feel in terms of like the question beneath some of these questions is that, understandably, there's a lot of fear. You know, when your world is being upended, and so many of us, the world is being upended, right? I just feel like living in North America right now, it's a crazy, weird time. And so many of us, I feel like, are, are are trying to extricate. Like, what, 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 what in my belief system is God? What's culture? I just would want to speak grace and blessing over you to say that we have a big, generous God whose uh, chief characteristic is the wideness of God's mercy. There is room. For these questions, there is room for some wandering if you need to wonder. And uh, even though it, it, the stakes are high in some ways, and I know why they feel high, you know, it's not urgent to have to figure it all out today. It's okay to sit with it and it's okay to have some back and forth and it's okay for this to be messy. T- take your time and trust that whatever road you're on, God is with you. That's the the sermon that, we, that some of you heard through side A. That was the point of all that, is no matter what journey you're on, even on the journey walking away from God, God is on that journey with you too. What we hear in the Psalms, you know, that David says that even if I take on the wings of the morning and flee to the uttermost parts of the sea, even if I make my bed in hell, your hand is with me. God will walk with you even on the path away from God. So I just don't want you to feel paralyzed or crippled by fear of where this journey is going to take you ask the questions stare into the abyss as long as you need to do that until you come to like your to to your own conclusions and your your soul and your body and your mind are able to be fully invested in the same direction that's what is to be integrated that's what it is to be whole and you can't do that if you can't answer honest questions i don't mean to preach to y'all again that's what i think
0: I hope you enjoy today's podcast. Like an LP, each episode is divided into side A and side B. Side A could be a sermon, a conversation with a guest, but will always introduce some idea. Side B will always be a creative exploration of that idea through music, question answering with listeners, or quirky rabbit trails off of side A for people who want the deep cuts, not just the singles. No matter who you are or where you come from, we hope this podcast will be a resource in helping you come to know the love that calls you by your true name. For more, go to JonathanMartinWords.com and sign up for our email list. Have a good day.